Seems crazy to think about, doesn't it? Just a couple of months ago, the American economy was booming like never before. We had all-time lows in the unemployment rates and all-time highs in the stock market. I mean, people from all around the world knew that America was the best place to invest. Businesses, they couldn't hire workers fast enough. And then when the COVID-19 virus reached our shores, well, we shut it all down. We shut everything down. Things that seemed like sure bets just days before, we shut it all down. Sporting events, shopping malls, restaurants, playgrounds, church buildings, shopping malls, hair salons, beauty parlors, nail salons, everything. We shut it all down down. Unemployment levels, they skyrocketed to levels not seen since the Great Depression. And we saw the biggest drop in the stock market since the Great Recession. We shut everything down and it all happened so fast. And now we've got this fear of finances and what's going to happen to the economy. Is it going to bounce back? How quickly will it bounce back? Where do we invest? What do we do? All these financial fears come flooding in. And that's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem that Jesus addresses in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. This financial fear, which causes us to think that we have to invest in, that we have to put our valuables, our treasures in places where moths eat, where rust corrodes, where thieves steal, where pandemics can wipe out. And if you do that, if that's where your hope is, if that's what you're investing in, if that's where you're banking on your future, well, then when those things lose their value, so do you. As we'll see, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, let's check it out on how we can conquer this fear of finances. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For it's the Gentiles who seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus, right in the middle of this famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he delivers these words. And there's one basic principle that he's driving to in this section. He's going to use several different examples to get there. He's going to use this example of praying and fasting and giving. And then he's going to sum it all up with this section here on defining what's really valuable, what's, what's really to be treasured in life. And the point is this. That we invest and we give ourselves to be seen by God and so we invest in God. We do not give ourselves to invest in ourselves and to be seen by others. We desire to be seen by God, not to impress people. That's the point of the passage. And when you go back to the first verse in chapter 6, Jesus makes this statement He says, beware of practicing your good deeds before men in order to be seen by them. But if you were to go back just a couple of paragraphs earlier in the middle of chapter five, Jesus says, hey, let your light shine before men so that they do see your good deeds and that then they'll worship your father in heaven. So some people have looked at this passage and they've said, Jesus, which is it? You got to make up your mind here. Are we supposed to do our good works in front of people? Or are we not? Which one is it, Jesus? Make up your mind. Is it okay to be seen by others or is it not okay to be seen by others? Which one is right? Well, Jesus says it's the motivation of the heart. What's in your heart? What's motivating you? Why are you investing what you're investing in? And that gets us back to this topic of finances. It all comes back to the heart because that's what this passage is saying today. See, we have this thinking that wherever I put my heart, whatever is really important to me, that that's then what I'll invest in. That my heart goes here, so then I invest in this. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. And he flips that foolish thinking on its head. And he says, no, where your treasure is, what you're investing, your time, your talent, your money, your treasures in, that's where your heart is. It's not the other way around. It's not that my heart's here, but I'm spending all my time, energy, effort, money over here. Jesus says, no, if you're spending all your time, effort, energy, money over here, that's where your heart is. That's what you really care about. So he makes the point that this is true for all people. I mean, he he talks the first three verses in this section, and it's to people who have a lot. They have an abundance. And then he spends 11 verses talking about people who don't have much, and they're kind of anxious and worried about what are we going to eat, what are we going to wear, And these kind of things. And Jesus, he's making the point that, hey, it doesn't matter whether you have an abundance or whether you have a little. We can all struggle with this fear of finances. And by the proportion of the text, he's showing us that there's going to be a lot lot more people in life who deal with the struggle of not having enough rather than people who struggle with having an abundance. But either way, the struggle remains the same. We have this fear of finances and treasures and what we're investing in. And we think that what, whatever we're investing in, that that's going to bring us blessing. That's going to bring us happiness. That's why we give our lives to it. You remember Jesus began this sermon and he talked about blessing. He talked about the people who are really blessed. And he made these startling statements. He said, you know, the blessed ones are the ones who are poor in spirit. The blessed ones are the ones who mourn. The blessed ones are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The blessed ones are the persecuted. He says, these are the people who are blessed. 
And so the question then comes to us, where do you find your blessing? What, what do you give your lives to? What, what, what do you, where do you look to find meaning and purpose and hope in life? Because wherever you're putting your time, wherever you're putting your gifts, your talents, your resources, your skills, your abilities, wherever you're putting your money, your treasure, well, that's where you're seeking blessing from. That's where your heart is. That's the point that Jesus is making. And we tend to always want to reverse it. We tend to want to think that my heart is here, so then I will invest in that. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's just the opposite. What you invest in, your heart follows. You learn to love those things. And so the world, we look at things like degrees. Say, what, what level of skill have I attained? We, we look at the important people that we've met and shaken hands with. We, we look at awards that we've got hanging on our walls and these things that we've earned. And we think, okay, this brings us blessing. We look at the size of our 401k or the house that we live in or the car that we drive. We say, this is where success, this is where value, this is where treasure and blessing can be measured. And we think this will bring us blessing. You need to understand, if you're going to think rightly about finances, you must understand where your blessing comes from. And your blessing comes from two places. We understand this biblically as Christians, that our blessing comes from two places. The first is intrinsic. It comes from within us. We see it within us that we are blessed with the image of God, that we're all image bearers of God. We all carry the imago Dei, this image of God within us. That's why in the Old Testament, it's, it's wrong to commit murder. It's not simply wrong because you're killing another person. It's wrong because you are destroying the image of God that resides in that person. That's why we can kill an animal and it'd be okay and not kill a person. Why? Because there is this intrinsic value that humanity is created with because we all bear the image of God. And to destroy that image, well, that's wrong. And so there's this value that we've been created with. We are image bearers of God, so we find our blessing there. But we have this issue, and that is we've all stained that image. We've all marred that image. We do not reflect this image of God rightly because of our sin. And God says there must be a punishment for that. And the only justified punishment for staining the image of God is death. But thanks be to God that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay that punishment for us. And so he lived the life that we could never live, a perfect life where the image of God is portrayed rightly uh, through him. And then he died the death that we deserve to die to pay for how we destroyed that through our sin. And then he rose again and conquered it so that now we can display this image of God rightly again. And so the second place where we find our blessing, it's not within us. We, we can't look within ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. We can't try hard enough. We can't work hard enough. We can't be good enough. There's nothing in ourselves that's going to bring this other blessing. The second place that we find blessing is extrinsic. It comes from Jesus and the price he paid for us. So as Christians, we rightly understand that we are blessed within us because of the image of God that dwells within us, that God created us with, and also this extrinsic blessing that Christ died for us, the price that he was willing to pay for us, invest in us so that we can have a relationship with God. That's where we as Christians find our blessing. Now, in this passage, it's, it's interesting because Jesus, he's talking about a lot of stuff. He begins and he talks about people who have a lot and then he 
ends with talking about people who don't have a whole lot and how there's this struggle either way. But in the middle, he makes this interesting statement. It almost seems awkward the way he puts it in there. And he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, well, then you're light. And if the eyes are unhealthy, well, then it's darkness. And if you think it's light, well, how great is that darkness? And we read that and we almost question, Jesus, why did you even mention that? I mean, what does that have to do with finances anyway? Why did you include that section? It almost seems out of place, like it doesn't fit at all. Or does it? See, you see that Jesus is getting to this point of where is your attention going? What are you really investing in? We have ads thrown at us all the time. I mean, you see it on TV, the ads come and we see it on the Internet and there's the pop up ads. We see it on people's T-shirts, ads, 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 all things trying to grab our attention. And that's just naming a few. That's why marketers who can develop some kind of advertising campaign that will grab and hold our attention to the point that we are focused and then we invest our time, our energy, our talents, our treasure in that. Well, they're paid the big bucks because we live in a culture vying for our attention, for our investment. And Jesus says, what, what are you giving your attention to? What are you investing in? What are you looking at that you say, you know, if I just put some time, if I just put some energy, if I just put some money into that, well, then, then that would make my life just a little more complete. That that would make me just a little happier. That that would bring just a little more blessing. See, you know, the problem with that line of thinking is there's always something else. There's always something bigger. There's always something better. There's always something else to be had. It's kind of like this. There's a guy, he's kind of walking around by a lake one day, and he sees another guy out in the canoe fishing. And he thinks to himself, you know, that's the life right there. I'd sure like to be able to wind down and do that every once in a while. So he goes home and tells his wife, hey, I need a canoe. If I could just get out, you know, every once in a while on the weekends, fish a little bit. I mean, it would be so peaceful, so relaxing. I'd be so much better of a husband, you know. And could I have this? And sooner or later, the wife relents and he gets himself a canoe and he's out there fishing. And he's having the time of his life for several weekends. And then one day he's out there paddling in the summer heat and by him goes this little small boat with an outboard motor. And that guy's doing some fishing too. And the man looks at that and he says, you know, that's what I need. I need just a little small boat so I don't have to do all this paddling and exert all this extra energy. That's what I need. So he goes home, tells his wife, and sooner or later she relents. Says, okay, you can get yourself a little small boat. And the small boat's working great. He's loving the little small boat and just getting out there. And then one day, one of his buddies shows up, and he's got a bigger boat with an electronic fish finder on it and all kinds of gadgets and gizmos. And he's thinking, you know, I spend so much time trying to find these fish. If I had a boat like that, if I had some of that technology, you see how it goes, don't you? There's always a bigger boat. There's always a nicer car. There's always a bigger bank account. There's always a new experience to be had. And Jesus says, if that's what has your attention, if that's what you're invested in, if that's where your treasure is, well, then you're trapped in darkness. And how great is that darkness? 
And then Jesus, he makes this really uncomfortable statement. It's a statement that cuts right to the heart, and he gives us only two options. There's no wiggle room with this. You can't have it both ways. We want a little of this and a little of that. But Jesus makes the statement, you cannot serve both God and money. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You see the exclusivity of that statement, how there's no wiggle room, no middle ground. You will either love God and hate stuff. You'll be controlled and blessed by God to the point that stuff is meaningless. It's worthless. You hate it. Or you will be controlled and blessed by stuff to the point that you hate God. Now, I know that statement, it seems almost unfathomable, and nobody wakes up one day and says, you know what, I'm going to love stuff and hate God. That's what I'm going to do. No, nobody ever sets off to do something like that. You know how it happens. It's just little by little, and there's this promise of success, this allure of success. You go down chasing that road, and what happens? Well, it costs time. It costs energy. It costs treasure, and you strain relationships with your spouse. You strain relationships with your children. It can be other ways, too. You can care more about the rules than you do the relationship so that you seek after compliance rather than heart change. You care more about the game, about the politics, about the show on TV, and then you got your kids there, and they're sitting there, and they're doing what kids do. They're being loud. They're talking. And what do you do? You discipline them for acting like kids so that you can watch the show. Now who's being the child? See, you see see how it works. And we, we hear this statement of Jesus that here's the mission that we've been given to go and make disciples. And we say, yes, I believe that wholeheartedly. That's right. That's where my heart is. Go and make disciples. And then Jesus says, great. Okay, now who are you investing in? Who are you giving your life to? Who are you spending your time, talents, and treasures on to make sure that the life of Christ is reproduced in them? And you look and you say, well, Jesus, I'm kind of busy. You know, I've got all this other stuff going on. I don't know that I know how to do that anyway. And then Jesus says, well, where your treasure is, where your investment is, that's where your heart is. And you say, no, no, I'd just rather ignore that, rather not kind of focus on the things that Jesus called me to. I mean, there's the success over here. There's these rules that I like over here. There's all this other stuff going on in my life. This is what I'm going to give myself to. And slowly and slowly and slowly, you begin to turn away from Jesus and the commands that he's given. And you begin to turn towards stuff and this allure of accumulating more And you begin to despise Jesus and his commands and his words. The irony of this passage is this. If I have a lot, I can be controlled by stuff and I can serve the stuff that I have. And that will lead me to not trusting God because I'm after serving my stuff. Or if I don't have much, I can become anxious because I don't know how I'm going to be provided for. And then I can become a servant to try to accumulating stuff and therefore not trust God. You can live in both categories. And Paul says, I can live in both categories rightly as long as my attention is right. And see, here we see, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But in the Proverbs, you know that the Proverbs say that a man who does not have enough to leave to his grandkids, the second generation, that he is a fool, that you've thought foolishly about stuff. 
And so you see this kind of awkward statement right in the middle of this passage about the eye being the lamp of the body and what we're giving our attention to and what we're investing in. And then we realize, wow, that's actually the glue that actually holds this whole section together. It really is my view of stuff and what I'm investing in and my heart attitude toward it. Because like with the rest of this section, it tells us that you can have a lot or you can have a little and you can be wrong or you can be right. You can have a lot and be wrong, or you can have a lot and be right. You can have a little and be wrong, or you can have a little and be right. It comes down to where your attention is, the motive of your heart. And before you say, oh, well, that's a relief to know. I'm glad to know that. Know this, you know the motivation of your heart by where your treasure is, by what you're investing in. One of the greatest examples of this is demonstrated in the life of the poor widow. You remember her story, don't you? This poor widow who gave out of her poverty. Jesus had just finished this teaching on loving your neighbor and who is your neighbor. And he spent a lot of time talking about that. And then these religious leaders, they show up to the temple and they're giving so much and so proud of the gifts that they're offering. And then this poor widow comes up and she's almost invisible. I mean, nobody probably would have even recognized her, noticed that she was even there, much less the gift that she gave. But Jesus, he pulls the disciples over and he says, look at her. Do you see her right there? She gave the most of anybody. All she gave were two little coins, two small coins, each worth less than a penny. A penny. I mean, in our nation, we have a shortage of pennies. Did you realize that? Because what do we do with pennies? We don't know quite what to do with pennies. You get a penny change, what do you do? You go home, you put it in a jar, you put it in a piggy bank, you put it in a drawer. You don't quite know what to do with them. They don't carry much value to us, so we just stash them somewhere, and then they get taken out of circulation. It creates a problem for our treasury. The lady, she has two of them. It's all she had. It's all she owned. It's two seemingly worthless pennies. And if that's all you had, or if that's all I had, and we're trying to be this faithful Christian, well, you know what you or I would do. We'd probably put one in and think, oh, well, this was, this was good of me. This was generous of me. I gave half of what I had, one for God, one for me. Isn't that fair? But see, the question is this, what has your attention? What are you invested in? Is it on being fair? Or is it on the grace and mercy of Jesus? Because I know this, I never want Jesus to be fair with me. I never want him to be fair in relation to my sin and who I am and how I've marred the image of God that he's created me with. No, I love his grace and I love his mercy far too much for that. I am not interested in his fairness. I want his grace. I want his mercy. And so then that attitude, it leads us to understanding life and finances and treasure rightly because we look at this and we understand, okay, Jesus, everything is yours. All I have is Christ. It's all yours. I'm just a steward. I don't own anything. All my time, all my talent, all my treasure, all my money, all my resources, everything I've got, I'm just a steward of. So how do I invest this in a way to maximize the expansion of the kingdom, to show that I love God and love others so that I'm invested in making disciples of people. This is what treasure is to be used for. And so now the question comes to us, where's your attention? What, What are you investing in? 
Is it on finances and fairness? Is it on successes and salaries? Or is it on grace and mercy? Is it on loving God and loving others and making disciples? Is it on this mission and purpose that Jesus has given to you? Is it on understanding your blessing rightly to know that you are blessed because of the image of God which you were created with and because of the price that Jesus was willing to pay for you? So now you are invested in that and that's where your treasure is. What are you investing in? Where is your heart? And if you want to know where your heart is, all you have to do is look. Where are your resources going? Because that's where your heart is. Heavenly Father, as you look to us, may you see your people with hearts given to you because we are invested in you and this mission and this life that you've created us for. May we give our lives to the purpose of making disciples for your glory and your honor. We ask this by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen.